again, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of the North American Soccer Show. We are actually on time. This is the first time I feel like in six, seven weeks that we've actually come to you two weeks in a row. Super excited about it. This is what playoff time brings. Finally, we've got a really good reason to bring everybody back together again and actually maintain some semblance of consistency. We'll see how that plays out for the rest of the playoffs. But for now, we're here. I'm your host, Dylan Baker. And and this week, I'm joined by Chris Smith. As always, Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Dylan. And joining us once again after her Inter-Miami promo is Alex Windley. Alex, it's awesome to have you back. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me on. Excited. We're we're definitely excited to to hear from the both of you after a, an admittedly wild wild week. So we're going to go ahead and kick straight into it because there were there were a lot of games since the last time that we've spoken to everybody, as well as we've got some conference semifinals that we've got to look forward to. So we're going to get straight into it. I feel like I say we're going to kick straight into it every week, so this isn't new to anybody. At any rate, if there's anything that we have to start with this week. It's that surprisingly, I'm pretty sure our predictions went pretty well. I'm, I'm, I, I, we'd have to go back and listen to last week's to verify. But one of the biggest calls last week, I'm going to pat myself on the back here a little bit, is Nashville being a little bit of a dark horse team. Nashville in the conference semifinals are going to be going up against Columbus Crew. Now, Nashville not only won their big game against Inter-Miami, which I'm, we're, we're definitely going to have to come to Alex for, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, but they also managed to, uh, to, to put in a really good performance against Toronto FC. And in both of these matches, they've not... They've not looked traditional sit on your haunches, Nashville. They've been progressive. They've played really well. And again, you know, especially in that in that play play in round, uh, putting three past an inner Miami team isn't isn't a isn't a hard thing to do this season, I don't think, but it is a tough thing to do for Nashville. So we're gonna start with this match. Uh Alex, I'm gonna come to you first to talk to me about Nashville and Columbus. I've kind of preface Nashville as it is to let everybody know how we got here as well with Columbus. Their, their, their first round playoff game was against New York Red Bulls and they, they ended up pulling it off three to two in, in, in kind of a hairy encounter with a high press of New York. Uh, so talk to me about this match. Talk to me about these two teams, kind of how we got here. Admittedly, I understand we're going to have to spend some time on inter Miami as well. Uh, and, 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 and tell me what you, what you foresee for this weekend out of this matchup. Well, yeah. First of all, I think when Nashville played Inter Miami, um, they looked. Gary Smith had them do exactly what he wanted to do. You know, they play in this defensive block, and then they hit people on the counter with Randall Liel, Mukhtar, and uh, Cadiz up top. And if you see against Inter Miami, they were able to do that super well. And even against Toronto, the game uh, the other night. Um, they did that uh, super well, actually. Yeah, that game went super long. And they played uh, phenomenal, actually. Toronto was were the favorites in that matchup, and they were able to to, to squeeze by them with a one goal win. And yeah, they're they're, they're like so. How do I explain this? Inter Miami, you know, we're not the best team, but Nashville, they know what they're doing. They were built correctly. They know how to play football. They know wh- exactly what they want to do. So this Columbus matchup, it should favor them in a way because Columbus do like to have the ball. They have Zillaran, they have Santos, Zardes. That team has been playing super well. And um, it'll be a fun matchup to see Columbus try to break down that 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 block that, that Nashville has. And uh, I'm curious to see how both managers uh, deal with that. 
Chris, we know that Columbus over the course of the season have had plenty of success breaking down teams that tend to be a little bit more defensive. But as we've talked about on multiple occasions on this podcast, the if there's anybody who does it best, it's Nashville, which is, you know, a little bit shocking this season considering their their expansion, you know, sort of freshman year nature that that they've been operating with. But, you know, if 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 ever there was a better a better matchup between a very high quality attacking team and a very high quality defensive team, it would would be Nashville. Uh, talk to me about this matchup as well, um, as well as uh, touch on the uh, touch on the Columbus and New York Red Bulls game as well. I mean that was that was a real test for Columbus and 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 them coming out on top in that particular matchup should be should be building their confidence going into this co- conference semifinals. Yeah, well, I mean the first thing to note with the with the Columbus Nashville matchup is Columbus's last clean sheet actually came against Nashville back in September and they've been on a long run of, of leaking goals since then. And with, I just want to talk about Nashville quickly against Toronto because I don't, I don't think they've, they've quite had the credit they, they deserve. They, they seriously outplayed last year's MLS Cup runner-up and one of the best teams in this division and one of the most fancied teams in, in MLS. And on another day, they, they could have been four or five nil up. You know, they had three goals rightly disallowed, but still they created the chances. Um, the, the XG, they generated 3.4 XG to Toronto's 1.53. And honestly, they, they missed some great chances. Alex Mule's header springs to mind straight away. So, yeah, the, the fame for the defence. Um, I know Gary Smith's been getting quite annoyed at that becoming a narrative, something I've been guilty of, of jumping on board with too. But they, they've got some sauce up front as well, so let's not rule them out. But the, the Columbus Red Bulls game... It, w- it was a test for Columbus because w- we know that they like to build out the back and they like to get the ball through down to Nagni. They can get it into like Zellerian and Pedro Santos further forward. But in all honesty, I don't. I don't think the Red Bulls really. They're not the Red Bulls of a couple of seasons ago. At, say 2018, last time they won support Shield, and I don't think they tested them as much as as people expected. I think the late goal to make it three two flattered them. Uh, that being said, Columbus came through it. How do I see this going against Nashville? We know that even even though Gary Smith doesn't like to be, like them to be called the defensive side, they are going to sit in. They're, they're not going to allow Columbus to play through that press and, and get the likes of Zellerian into that kind of space. So it's whether Columbus have enough creativity, enough movement, enough guile to, to break that block down. Because as as Toronto found out to the peril, it was a very, very solid block. Um, so it's all down to the likes of Zellerian, Jassy's artist. Can he can he get those little chances? Can he get those little spaces where he can be be picked out? It'll be be a fascinating game to watch. Well, it definitely will be a very interesting matchup. And, and and again, we've talked about Nashville's defensive solidity over the course of the season, as well as how exciting Columbus's attack is. So it it seems like it's going to be a real a real matchup between two completely different sides. And it, it's always interesting to see that when it happens because it it, it does make it. It does make it a complete toss-up as far as which way it's going to go. You you would expect Nashville won't break down, and you would expect Columbus to score goals. So which one which one of those two things is going to get stopped? Uh, so that is going to be on on this upcoming Sunday. Uh, one of the other matchups that's coming up on Sunday is Orlando City versus New England. Now, uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you uh, to go over this Orlando City stuff. Uh, what an end to a match. And I know Alex is going to have plenty to say on this as well, but I, I would say out of all of the playoff matchups and out of all the wild stuff that we saw in the, in the play, in the first round, 
this game, most specifically how it ends, has to be insane. Now, because it literally, I, I think what, what you told me before we started recording, Chris, was that it took 21 minutes between the first penalty kick and the last penalty kick. There were red cards. There, there was uh, the, the game ended, I think, twice and then had to be restarted. So if you've if you've not if you've not heard and you've not seen exactly what how it happened play by play, there's almost too much to talk about on this podcast for time's sake. So, uh, but I do think that it, it is something that we need to be that we need to cover and we need to talk about the highlights of it. So, Chris, uh, walk me back to uh, Saturday of last week uh, and, and talk to me about this Orlando City New York City FC game. I mean, we we expected Orlando City to come out on top, just not quite the way they did. No, it was a bit wild. Uh, it, it was strange because the, the game kicked off really quick. You know, Nani gets the early penalty and, and penalties obviously became a theme later on, but he puts Orlando 1-0 up. Next thing you know, NYCFC have equalised quickly and, and we think, uh, we're thinking we're in for another good punch-up of a playoff match. And then it kind of just died a little bit from there where you had two teams really scared to take a chance. You know, they, they were play- it seemed like they were playing through to the 90 minutes. Rowan gets sent off quite rightly for kicking out. For, uh, for Orlando and then extra time again it's just sort of spent 30 minutes spent sparring and feeling each other out and sort of wishing for the penalties to come and I mean to be honest if any of them had foresight of that happening I can see why they wanted the penalties to come and, and liven things up where would you start with that um, you had everything you had Oscar Pereira thinking that Orlando have won it again called back for Pedro Galesi coming off his line uh, obviously MLS is still working off the 2019-20 IFAB rules which state that if a goalkeeper does come off his line when a penalty is taken, then it's a yellow card. Galazi had already been booked and therefore got sent off. And you could call it harsh, and yeah, it is. And that's why the rule's been changed. But it's not been changed in MLS yet, and and that's it. They're just going to have to suck it up, and he's suspended for the next game. Someone has to go and fetch Pedro Galazi back because you know they've not won the game yet. So he comes back out the tunnel, mask in hand, straight back in with the ultimate professionalism. You had. Then obviously they're trying to bring Ryan Brian Rowe onto the pitch to to bring another goalkeeper in. Alan Chapman just seems to forget that you can't make a substitution in the middle of a penalty shootout. So Rodrigo Schlegel goes in, and obviously we know about his heroics saving a penalty and, and basically sending Orlando through, but not before the ref also forgot that another penalty had to be taken to seal Orlando's place. So I've probably done a terrible job of explaining that, but where the hell did you start? It was a uh, it was quite wild and. Like I say, 21 minutes of of drama that I have never, ever experienced before in my life. And I'll be very surprised if I ever experience it ever again. It does seem like if there if there was ever a league, if there was ever a uh, if there was ever a country where you would have a match like that, the United States seems to be the 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 primary choice for 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 that kind of theatrics. Yeah. Uh, before Fine, we move on, to, <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we move on to 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 Alex to talk a little bit about this game as well as New England's second game against Philadelphia, uh, walk back with me a little bit to to Friday's matchup against uh, where New England took on Montreal. I mean, of all. All of the matchups that we talked about last week, when we were when we were previewing the the play in round and the actual first round of the playoffs, we we talked a l- probably the most about New England and Montreal. And uh, at the end of the day, we ended up being correct. But there's there's just I, I feel like there's so much going on here with with, with Montreal because they they looked they looked 
it looked like it was one of their good days and it very much looked for new England. Like it was going to be one of their average days. And then it, that's by the end, by the end of the 90 minutes when the whistle blew, that's just not what we got. So walk us back a little bit and talk to me about that game. And then we'll shift on to Alex for, for some Orlando uh, and some Philadelphia talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, that game, obviously stretching back to even remember it now, it feels that longer with the amount of drama we've had, but from, from what I recall, it, it played out, Largely how we thought it would work, you know, the Reds would dominate and Montreal would very much try and keep that compact defensive shape that would give them the best chance of going through. And it's it's not something that that Montreal have become known for this season. You know, they're, they're quite terrible defensively, if we're, if we're being honest. And with Samuel Pierre and and Victor Wanyama not being able to to play as well, that that job was only made harder. But them missing time, really was obvious on on, on this day, was it not? Yeah, it, they couldn't get a, a solid foothold on the ball for, for large parts. And it, it was a case of hanging on for, for quite a while. You think there, you know, Kyoto draws some level in the second half and you're thinking, get through get through to extra time, get through to penalties. And clearly you never know what might happen. But, you know, the hearts were broken right at the end with Gustavo Bow, And, you know, he's, he's stepping up and, and giving the Reds one of those match-defining moments. And it's... Uh, I th- as you say, as I say, I think it played out how we thought, but I will give credit to Thierry Henry and Montreal impact under some pretty horrendous circumstances. I thought they gave a really good account of themselves and and show that there is a platform to build from going into the next season. Absolutely. I mean, if, if there's any credit that can be given to Montreal, it's that they they've taken a team that I think that I think on a on a normal analytical standpoint uh is better than them and they 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 left it late they made they made new england keep on their toes until the 95th minute in order to come through and alex kind of shifting from the the nature of that new england montreal match uh into the philadelphia match that new england had uh, yesterday i believe it was since we're recording this on wednesday um it took New England a while to really break down Montreal and and find that winning goal there at the end. But uh, w- when it comes to their performance against Philadelphia, it seems it seems the exact opposite against a team that you wouldn't expect them to pull through against. I mean, Union has been, uh, if anything, one of the best teams in the MLS this season, and and New England. Uh, took it to them and they 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 took their goals early on i believe it was the 26th and the 30th minute in quick succession and 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 they 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 held their own throughout the rest of the match uh, against a team that has a that has a solid mls regular season goal difference so talk to me a little bit about this this progression of new england performances from friday of last week to to tuesday of this week uh and then of course we're we're going to have to get your opinion on the on the orlando city matchup and how that went down <laughs> against new york yeah, I think the Union Revs game, it was definitely a shock. I think I would think it would be safe to say that you guys were shocked by the result as well. I think everyone expected the Union to go through, but I think a lot of this has to do with Bruce Arena and the playmaking abilities of Carlos Gill and Gustavo Bo both being back on the pitch together. And right now they're clicking at the right time. And with Busca up there, who is an absolute warrior, I, I love his playing style. He's a, he's a great player. I think um, if you were to watch the game, it, it was clear that the union didn't really have an answer for any of that. Like at one point, um, Tajon Buchanan, he, the revs fullback, they, he ended up scoring a goal. So it's, it's clear that the union, they didn't really fully get into it. Like, uh, like someone mentioned earlier, uh, Aronson got taken off at the 62nd minute. So it's clear Jim Curtin 
they were never really fully able to get into that game, and or the Revs basically stymied everything that uh, the Union did, and they played their game, and Bruce Arena has been in this league for a long time. He knows how to win, and it's clear with these group of guys that New England has right now, that I think, honestly, they're a contender to win, win their, uh, their next matchup against uh, Orlando. Orlando has shown um, that they're not, you know, like Inter Miami were able to beat them twice, and we weren't a very good team this year. So it'll be a it'll be an interesting matchup between the Revs and Orlando. To, uh, I'll I'll definitely be interested in that as well. Well, and especially with Orlando, I, I believe I saw the news earlier today that that Pedro Glazy's uh, his his re- second yellow red card suspension will not be overturned because of the IFAB rules uh, yeah. holding place from last year, like uh, like the like Chris mentioned earlier. Um, they're going to be missing a couple of uh, pretty important players, Galazi in, in particular. And with New England, I mean, rather than it's kind of the reverse for them. I mean, what we've seen over the course of the last two or three weeks now that Carles Hill is back it, from his Achilles tear injury, um, it, it, the New England Revolution look like a completely different team when he's on the pitch. So going into this match, you you have to you have to look at it and say, you know, not only are New England on a, on a form upturn, but also they've got their best player back. And, you know, Orlando City's goalkeeper, who has had a phenomenal season, uh, is out. Uh, you you would have to think that those are two in very particular circumstances, two very particular players that that have game changing qualities that, you know, one is out, one is in. And I think that 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 may very well sort of swing favor in one direction, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I think losing Galese is huge for Orlando. He's kept them in a lot of games. He's 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 basically that that commander on on uh Orlando's defensive front basically. He he leads that back line pretty well. I think yeah, without him, even though Brian Rowe is very capable, he's started MLS games. He's he's not uh, you know, he he knows what he's doing, but I think it'll be It'll be definitely be a big miss for them, considering New England. Like you said, they're in form. They have rhythm. Bruce Arena knows what he's doing. They have Carlos Hill back. Gustavo Bo is in good form. Everyone, every every player for the Union is clicking so far. It'll definitely be one of. It'll be an interesting matchup. I'm I'm very interested in this one. Yeah, I think I just want to throw in my own mention of Carlos Hill as well because um, the Reds have missed him this year and done well to make the playoffs without him. But you know he, he's found fitness at the end of the season coming to these playoffs. Uh, one goal in a two-one win and then two assists in a two-nil win and he could have could have had a goal himself in the Union game too. Um, obviously that game everyone was focusing on Brendan Aronson and Philadelphia Union being supporter shield winners and ca- can they get to MLS Cup and can they keep going and. To be quite frank, Carlos Hill came in and, and showed the union up and showed Brendan Aronson up on his on his last ever appearance at the union before he heads off to RB Salzburg. So just wanted to throw my own little mention in there of, of how much of a slept on player I think Hill is and how important he could be as, as the playoffs progress. Well, I think the big thing with Heel too is that he's shown his quality elsewhere, and it, 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 he's made a couple of moves that where where it's just not quite worked out for him, and he's he's folded himself into a system there in, in New England where he is he is by and large the main man. He does a lot of the creativity. His pressing is 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 quality. He does a lot of running for an attacking midfielder, uh, and at the end of the day. 
you can you can see how crucial a player can be to a system because I really don't think New England Revolution have played all that differently without Carles Heel. It's just not been to the same level of quality. Uh, and and there again, you know, we 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 spoke last week about how New England have been bang average, and that's because I I don't think that they necessarily have a bang average team. I just think that it's built around a guy that they didn't have all season, and now they have him back at full fitness right at the right time, and that's a hard thing to look past. Um, before we move on to the next games, I do want to go ahead and stop here since we're, we've covered the two Sunday matches in Orlando City, New England, and then Columbus, Nashville. Chris, I'm going to start with you before we move on. Um, we're going to have to since we kind of have you know a decent track record now after last week. Uh, who's moving on to the conference finals? Yeah, you're playing with fire here, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as much as I like your Nashville Dark Horse shout and you've been right so far and, and they've been excellent, I do see Columbus just edging that. And yeah, and with the Orlando game with Galassi out and Carlos Hill hitting form, I'm, I'm going to take the revs for that as, as much as I probably annoyed a lot of Orlando fans on Twitter. But there you go. That's a standard week for me, isn't it? So. As an Atlanta fan, isn't it your job to annoy a lot of Orlando City fans? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Alex, uh, same question to you. Where do you stand on these two matches? Yeah, I, I agree with Chris. I think uh, the Reds will be able to edge out Orlando. Um, I think missing Galese will be huge. And Hill, he's been in form. And I think they'll be able to, to eke out a win. And as for the uh, Nashville-Columbus match, um, I think... Columbus's offense is just, it's too much offensive firepower for Nashville's defense, even though Walker Zimmerman has been huge, as has uh, Dave Romney, I think. Uh, Gary Smith has done a phenomenal job uh, in Nashville, but I think Columbus will will be able to get it done, and they'll, they'll move on to the next round. As much as I would like to agree with you both, I do have to stand behind my dark horse thing here. I don't really foresee, if I'm being honest with myself, Nashville moving past Columbus. But if there was if there was a game to showcase that their defensive prowess was as strong as what we've seen all season, I think this is the game to show it. And I think Gary Smith has prepped his team for that fact. So I do, I think, agree on the New England assessment, but I'm going to have to pick Nashville for this one. Uh, and at least that'll throw some parody in and you know the soccer gods will give us an interesting game um alex i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with you to move on to the next match seattle sounders on tuesday of next week are going to be taking on fc dallas uh, and i want to start with the seattle match um LAFC definitely have not been the team that they were, uh, especially whenever you look at their their widespread success last season over the course of the MLS regular season. Um, you know, the playoffs didn't end up working out the way that LAFC wanted last year, and it looks like this year as well, it's also not going to have worked out in their favor. Uh, Seattle, again, we've talked on this podcast so many times about, uh, you know, Seattle being the 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 sort of flag bearer of consistency over the course of the last several seasons. And they showcase their quality once again in a three, one trouncing really of LAFC because uh, it's without Diego Rossi, they, they, they almost, they almost looked like they didn't have a chance. So talk to me about that match as well as uh, you know, how, how you see Seattle faring against FC Dallas in a, in a very different matchup than what they had uh, yesterday against LAFC. Uh, yeah, like you said, I think LAFC, uh, this was a disappointment for them, although they, they're missing Rossi and, um, Rodriguez due to COVID, I believe, uh, 
you know, they should do better with the amount of quality they have on that roster. They should do better. However, I'm not taking away anything from what Seattle did last night. They were phenomenal. Lodero was phenomenal. Rui Diaz, uh, dare I say he's underrated in terms of strikers in this league. I I don't know. I feel like he should be uh, appreciated more. I think Seattle did what they needed to do. It was an incredible game, actually. Jordan Morris got on the score sheet. Rui Diaz, Lodero, all their big players stepped up. The double pivot with Rodon and Joe Paulo was clicking. Their back line was was clicking as well. Every Shane O'Neal was huge. Nunu as well. He was huge last night. And for that that game, it was uh, it was Seattle having a, a game plan and basically giving. LAFC, you know, nothing. They, they they could barely get things moving. I know Carlos Vela was back, but again, he he was not affected as as he's not affect he wasn't effective as he normally was. So that three one that three one uh, uh, final scoreline was a bit generous. Honestly, Seattle could have had a couple more goals. You know, LAFC did not. They didn't look like their their typical best. And I know that this off season for them will be pretty pretty important so well and chris uh especially since alex brings up lafc's defensive issues i mean that's a thread that we've spoken about really going back to august back to the mls's back tournament they've just they've just not looked like they've had a core defensive unit or a defensive structure or really even you know in that particular phase of play a a defensive uh, system really to play uh to go into these matches with. And and once again, it was put on display in, in, in the worst way for them and the best way for Seattle. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about L- LAFC's inherent defensive issues, as well as, uh, you know, we also need to talk about FC Dallas. I mean, for me, in terms of results, this, I think, falls in line with one of the bigger surprises. FC Dallas have not been a bad team all year and they've I don't think they fall in that sort of bang average category like we classified New England as for the MLS regular season but they've not been the FC Dallas that we're used to seeing and Portland have been Portland you know we talked last week about how missing some of Portland's biggest players um, was going to cause them issues and in this particular match they they most certainly struggled. They did well, I think, defensively to get to the point where it was, you know, it, it came down to a penalty shootout, and you know, especially considering how long that penalty shootout lasted as well, uh, with Dallas having to put eight penalties past Portland in order to get the win. Um, you know, it was a it was a tough ride, I think, for 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 FC Dallas, but they found it there at the very end, and and they held out against a, a top class Portland team that was missing some of their top class players. So, you know, it, it, considering these these sorts of things, how do you how do you see that Seattle Dallas matchup looking uh, come Tuesday next? Yeah, well, I think we mentioned last week about how much Portland's absences might hurt them in the playoffs, and I think that that bore fruit. Uh, against Dallas, it, it was by no means convincing, and the goal they did score came courtesy of a left back. Um, for large parts, Dallas did very sort of solid, advisable things that you would you would want a team to do. That's a suffering injuries and be sort of crawled into the playoffs. That in in that they stayed solid and they, they frustrated Portland. They knew that Portland weren't going to be quite as as expansive and quite as dynamic as they would be, say, with a Nears Goder up front or a Sebastian Blanco pulling the strings. So, yeah, and, but obviously they, they, they should have been out, Dallas. They, you know, Portland got the goal and Portland are one of the teams I'd fancy most to sit on a lead and just see it out with, with 10 minutes to go. But 
the defending for Ricardo Pepe's goal was absolutely horrendous. I know we're going to come on to LASC's defensive problems in a minute, but I've never seen a, such a jagged defensive line. You know, you had, you had two two sitting back, two stepping up, and Pepe walking through, going, "Yeah, thank you very much. I'll I'll play a one-two with a post and score." Um, the, the penalties again. It seems like so many of these games, whether it be in a shootout or or just a normal penalty, a, a standard penalty, it seems like they're all being decided that way at the moment. And well, I mean, kudos to the players because eight seven on penalties, and I don't think there was any saves. They're, uh, one one save at the end, you know, it was just it was finish after finish and some some great penalties, real composure under pressure and you know sticking them in the in the corners. Um, the Seattle LAFC game, um, similar to to what Alex said, you know, the, the result flattered LAFC. The one thing that I would point a question mark to is is how much Carlos Vela's penalty miss played a part in in that result. Um, Mm. The target came, it, you know, it would have been a quick response to going down. It, it might well have steadied the ship. And, you know, when, when that LASC midfield gets ticking with, with Mark Anthony Kay, Latif Blessing, Edward Atuesta, they're hard to get the ball off um, once they're in full flow. And I feel like if the, if, if Fella scores that, and, and I will say it was a terrible penalty, he didn't deserve to score. But if he does score that, then. You know, maybe, maybe they get the foot on the ball. Maybe they push Seattle back a bit and start start dominating the ball in the offensive third for a little bit, and, and those mistakes don't become a problem because the ball isn't down that end. But that said, if some butts he did miss, and you know, I, I recall the third goal for for Seattle, and you know, the the, the movement and the the space that the likes of Jordan Morris and and Rui Diaz and and got in the final third, it, it's not acceptable for for a team that. That set a points record last season for the Sporters Shield, and I've always had genuine sights on on getting to MLS Cup and, and lifting it. It's just not good enough. There's been no cohesion at the back all season. They've always been susceptible to this kind of thing. You know, players similar to the Portland goal that I mentioned before. You know, players switching off, players stepping out when they shouldn't be. You know, the line not moving as as a unit, and obviously the, the absences at the other end really with Rodriguez and and Rossi really magnified that. Yeah, and uh, mo- moving on to obviously Seattle coming up against Dallas. Uh, to be honest, I, I do like Dallas, and I've got a soft spot for them mainly because of Paxton Pomichol. But obviously, with him not being there, I feel like that does change Dallas's ability to to dominate the ball. And to be honest, I rate Brian Schmetzer as 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 one of the top coaches, if not the top coach in MLS right now. And I think he's criminally underrated, just as as Alex said before that Rui Diaz is an underrated striker. Who I think is up there with the likes of Joseph Martinez is one of the best in the league. I think you can say the same for Brian Schmetzer. You know, if, if a team wants to come and dominate the ball, you know you've got the likes of Jordan Morrison, Rui Diaz, and Ladero, and and so on and so forth to just crucify teams on the break. And at the same time, Ladero, Roldan, they're all smart enough to dominate the ball and, and, and push a team back. And personally. I'm not going to rule Dallas out because, you know, they, they, they faced up last year and what I mentioned last week was one of my favourite games of football I've ever watched. You know, a 4-3 to Seattle, it was end-to-end, it was fantastic, but I don't see Dallas having an answer for him this time. 
And Chris, I'm going to stick with you a little bit to talk to me uh, about the Sporting Kansas City and San Jose matchup in the in the build up to next Wednesday's uh, conference semifinals matchup between Sporting Kansas City and Minnesota. Now, this one was a little bit, not even a little bit. This one was most definitely the most high octane game over the course of the over the course of the first round of playoffs. I mean, it it, it went to it went to penalties after a three three score line at the end of at the end of extra time. Um, you know, as Sporting KC came out firing and then San Jose caught themselves up, uh, you know, before some late, late drama. I think there were there were a goal apiece uh, after 90 minutes between uh, Gianluca Busio and for Sporting and Chris Wondolowski, old Wando, uh, popping up very, very late on uh, in the 97th. So talk to me a little bit about this match. And, and one of the things that I do want to focus on a little bit is San Jose's development into into probably one of the best attacks in the league. Now, I think we've seen over the course of the season that, uh, you know, they have quite a few defensive problems of their own. But, you know, San Jose, I don't think over the course of the last five years has really been known as a as a powerful attacking team. And, and really, that's just kind of what we've seen from them all year. Um, so talk to me about last Sunday's matchup between uh, Sporting KC and San Jose uh, and, and what your outlook on Sporting Kansas City is going into the semifinal. Finals. Yeah, th- this was one of the uh, in what has been a thoroughly entertaining playoffs so far. This is arguably up there as the, as the best the best game of the bunch. Um, it, it was a game that really breathed. You know, obviously SKC get the the early goal with Roger Espinosa, and then San Jose two two goals midway through the first half to pin him back. SKC respond again, and then um, Gian, Gianluca Busio. Well, I mean, that was a fantastic goal, great ball down the line, Ojerso. Bursts away, he, he cuts inside. The, the cutback from from Carrie Shelton is fantastic, and, and then the finish. But obviously, Wando, you, you can never write write the, the quakes off when Wando's about. I know he, prior to that, he'd only had one playoff goal, but while he's about, there's always bound to be some drama, and that's exactly what we got. And Emilia, when it comes to the penalty shootouts, three three penalties, three saves. That's five for five on shootouts now. I think I heard Matt Doyle mention that. The f- he's now forty six percent as well save save rate in in normal penalties too. So he he's clearly doing something right there, and he's got a secret which he's mm. uh, he's not telling everyone right now. But yeah, it, it was a great game. Uh, touching on your San Jose point, I think the the attacking form we've seen from this seen from this season is a culmination of the hard work that Mateus Almeida has been putting in in that respect. You know, you got Christian Espinosa there, who's a fantastic playmaker and. You know, you've got some, you've got some good pieces there. You know, as we say, Wando, Wando's always going to get your goals, and you know, Jackson Ewell's a, a decent, a decent central midfielder. He, he can, he can spray the ball. You know, he can, he can play those little intricate passes. But his defensive system, Almeida's defensive system, just for me, it doesn't work. I, I spent most of this match bashing the Quakes on Twitter, to be quite honest. And a couple of times, I was eating my words because they kept fighting back. But on the whole. We expected them to struggle defensively, and if you're conceding three goals a game, you you need all your attacking pieces on absolute 100% form to to stand any chance of winning a playoff match. And as much as Wando pulled it out, as as much as you've got Christian Espinosa there, they're at 99%. They're not going to do it at this point. I find it hard to see where the Quakes are going to go with Almeida. I know he's a very highly rated coach, but if he's going to continue to play this sort of High octane press, man market, individual dual style of style of defending. Then they need to seriously upgrade, upgrade, and and bring in some some serious new players because 
Otherwise, they're just going to get keep getting picked off. Um, in terms of SKC moving forward against Minnesota, I mean they, they've proved they've proved yeah they can they can take teams to a penalty shootout. So if you want to sit in and, and sort of grind out a nil nil or a one all and take it to penalties, I don't think anyone fancies taking on Tim Melia. And then obviously at the same time, I think we're expecting Alan Polito to come back as well to lead the line, which which gives a team that's just scored three goals a whole new attacking drive. So you know, Busio's on form. You know, Gerso Fernandez looks good down the wing. Johnny Russell's always capable of a, a bit of magic. You put you put Alan Polito in there, and I think we're in for an exciting matchup against Minnesota. Alex, I want your opinion on that match, and and, and more specifically, Chris's Chris's assessment of Almeida at the at the helm of the Earthquakes. But I also want to put to you the Minnesota Colorado game. Minnesota have developed so much over the course of the last year, um, and and despite the fact that Colorado has had a solid season, I I do think that you know their weaknesses were really really exposed in this match as Minnesota put three past them and kept a clean sheet. You know, really looking forward to this matchup between Sporting Kansas City and Minnesota United, you would have to say that if you had to pick one that may not necessarily win the game, but has had has had a lot more excitement around their style of play, around their performances, it would have to be Minnesota. Now, obviously, Kansas City have been a fantastic team all year long. They've been so consistently good that, you know, as we've mentioned several times on this series, we've just not talked about them because they just keep doing Kansas City things, which is winning and winning cleanly and walking away, going home, waiting for the next match where they're probably going to do the exact same thing. So going into this match, you've got consistency versus entertainment, consistency versus excitement. And that's that makes it kind of tricky to choose. So uh, again, talk to me about the about last week's matchup with Minnesota and Colorado. Touch on Sporting Kansas City and San Jose uh, in in whatever capacity that you feel, um, and then looking forward to next Wednesday's conference semi semifinal matchup between Kansas City and Minnesota. Where do you see that matchup going? Yeah, as for the San Jose uh, Kansas City game, that one was uh, one heck of a ride, honestly. Yeah, like you said, Almeida in that system he plays where it's man to man and they're always pressing. And um, I, I'm not sure if that's just sustainable in the long term. You know, I think it would help to implement, um, you know, pressing triggers and not just aimlessly chasing players all over the field all the time because that that'll offend that'll eventually affect the entire team, not just the defensive line, you know, uh, your attacking players don't want to spend all the time, um, the majority of the game defending and, you know, your defensive players will be under a lot of pressure all the time. So hence them leaking goals like this, even though it did go to penalties as for sporting Kansas city. Um, yeah, they nearly, uh, got let that one slip a little, even though, uh, the, the earthquakes do have their shortcomings. Um, you know they they were able to score three goals with Wando, uh, Chase Salinas, and uh, their other player Carlos Fierro. And yeah, it, it was a tight game, but you know Peter Vermees is a uh, again like I I think with Brian Schmetzer and uh, Bruce Arena, there he they, he's one of those premier MLS coaches that are absolutely spot on and consistently good. Uh, Sporting Kansas City were was able to grind out a result with. Uh, you know, Busio on that that goal at that 97th minute. It was the not excuse me, not the 97th minute. When did he score? But Busio, he was able to score that clutch goal in the the dying minutes of the game. But and you thought that would 
send Sporting Kansas City through, and then, you know, San Jose came back. So that game as a whole, it was absolutely crazy. But like you said, Sporting Kansas City is always consistent, and they find a way to win. Johnny Russell, like Chris said, Johnny Russell can find that bit of magic whenever he wants to. And once they get Polito back, who knows where they'll go. As for the Minnesota and Colorado matchup, I think Minnesota is honestly one of the most underrated teams in MLS. I don't think people praise them enough. They have a very complete squad. They have a fantastic offensive uh, trident, attacking trident with Finley, Molino, Robin Lode, and Reynoso. He is an absolute gem of a player. You love watching players like that, number 10s who can dictate the game. And that's exactly what Reynoso did against Colorado. Colorado, uh, they were out of sorts. I know that they they had that instance where, you know, COVID basically, you know, they were out because of COVID-19 and that's unfortunate for them. But they, they were able to show fight, but Minnesota was just so consistent. Their back line is phenomenal. Young Greg Goosh, easily, easily one of my favorite non-Inter Miami players in MLS. Watching him play is like a Rolls Royce going down the street. He's he's this tall midfielder that has a great right foot. I think he he's he can use both his left and right, and he he was just able to control the tempo for Minnesota and got them got them out of trouble in a in a lot of ways and. That 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 ultimately helped Minnesota to to get over that hump uh, that Colorado was, you know, basically in their way. And Molino as well, he, he had a great game, scored two goals, incredible, incredible. So as for this uh, this semifinal matchup, I think it'll it'll definitely be interesting. If Sporting Kansas City isn't careful, I think Minnesota will definitely be able to have a field day with them. I think they're attacking players are are clicking right now and I think if Sporting Kansas City's backline if they don't get it together I honestly honestly see Minnesota maybe winning by you know 2-1 2-0 cuz they they're they're in form right now and I I fully expect it to be a a competitive but interesting game and then Alex I'm going to stick with you for for the same thing that we did for the last two matches um Pick the winners of these two, uh, Seattle uh, versus FC Dallas and SKC against Minnesota. Who's going through to the conference finals? Well, <laughs> I like FC Dallas. I think they play some um, really good uh, soccer. I think their game against uh, Portland was really, really great. They showed a lot of grit. They showed a lot of heart, and they were able to sneak through. Luchi Gonzalez is in- incredible What he, with what he's done with them um but also um Seattle they're, they're you can't count them off you know every time Seattle makes a playoffs they they end up doing Seattle things which is going to MLS Cup and and winning so um <laughs> so uh yeah this one's gonna be a tough one honestly I think I think Seattle with their experience and their quality and Redias, I think they'll be able to to get through. But honestly, do not don't count out Dallas. They they they're they're on a good run of form, and I, I think it'll be it'll be a, a tough matchup for Seattle. It'll be a fun game. I I who will win? Hmm. Yeah, honestly, I feel like that one could we could either see it be blown wide open with uh, Minnesota going wild and scoring like three goals, or this one can go zero zero until the 80th ninth minute because none of them can finish. Well, 
and we end up going to penalties or something. But at the end of the day, I think like Sporting Kansas City has been they have they've been in these situations. They know how to win. So I think ultimately that could propel them over Minnesota. So I'll I'll take Sporting in in that matchup. And Chris, your opinion on the winners for these two matches as well? Yeah, I mean, Seattle were my pick before the playoffs started to win it, and I think they're going to get past Dallas. Uh, like Alex said, I don't think it's by any means going to be be an easy game. I don't think they're going to cruise, but I think they're going to find that they're going to have a tough tough opening hour where Dallas are quite stubborn. You know, they, they try and shut down the likes of Ladero and roll down in midfield quickly. You know, they, they try and stop that space in behind where Jordan Morris can, can wreak havoc, but eventually gaps will appear. And, and, and I think Seattle are well-placed to take advantage of that. To, I would say two or three, possibly one for Dallas, um, if, if we're being being confident. For the SKC-Minnesota game, uh, just touch on Minnesota for a second. Um, I was really impressed with them against the Rapids. You know, Colorado had, had two decent spells of pressure during the start of both, both halves. And, I mean... Minnesota were all questioned how they do without Eichel Power in that defence, but they, they held out brilliantly. You know, they've, they've got a really strong back line there and, and they seem really organised. You know, Adrian Heath's got them really well drilled at the back. As, as Alex touched on, Jan Gregus just looks like he plays the entire game in cruise control. If he wants to step it up and get that forward four moving quickly, he'll fire it into them quickly. If he feels like the team needs to breathe, he'll keep hold of it and he'll recycle possession in midfield and I think that that's a huge quality to have in the middle of, middle of the park in the playoff game. And that, that front four, for me, the, the most impressive part of it is how interchangeable they are. Um, obviously, Kevin Molino is absolutely on fire at the moment, but he, he's starting off out on the left where you could you could easily see him drifting inside to the middle and letting let him Reynoso move out, out to the wing. And him and Finley could swap sides. You know, Robin Logg can drop in and let runners go, go beyond him. It's, it's really dynamic. And SKC finished top of the West, but they were by no means airtight defensively. And, you know, we saw how the how the Quakes took advantage of that. And as much as the Quakes have been good going forward this season, I, th- I think Minnesota are a completely different animal. I think this could be a, this could end up being a, a surprisingly comfortable win for Minnesota. I, I'll go 3-0 to, to Minnesota in that one. Gotcha. Well, I think what I want to end this podcast with, we're as as we're sort of staring the conference finals and the MLS Cup finals in the face, is I, I want to pose a question to you two that I don't know if we've gone in detail about for for this North American soccer show. I think we prefaced it a little bit when we were talking about the MLS's back tournament at the very beginning, and then we've just kind of let it go for a while. Um, and that question is. We've seen some, this has been kind of an oddball regular season, I think, with the coronavirus pandemic that we've all been, we've all been dealing with and we've all been facing over the course of the, over the course of almost a year now. And, you know, I think one of the things that we've seen, not only throughout the regular season, but really kind of staring at these conference semifinals teams in the face and looking at the results that led to led to these teams reaching this point is, I think the question has to be asked, how much do do you guys think that the coronavirus and the pandemic and the 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 clustered schedule nature of what we've what we've worked with over the course of the regular season has led to you know 
Toronto FC bowing out to Nashville or, you, you know, LAFC dropping off the face of a cliff or, uh, you know, we, we've seen a lot of teams performing in ways that we didn't expect them to and, and taking advantage of what's been given to them and the schedule that's been given to them. And, and whether that be with the nature of the MLS's back tournament playing into regular season points or, you know, like we discussed last week with the Colorado Rap- Rapids making it in on points per game, despite the fact that they'd played three or four less games than everybody else. Um, how, how much do you think this season and the performances of these teams and their success has led to the teams being in the conference semifinals that there are? How much of that do you place on the coronavirus, if anything at all? Because I will say one of the great things that we have in terms of the MLS and, and realistically with American sports without having promotion and relegation and these sorts of things is that you do have widespread parity. Anybody can be good at any point in time. Anybody can be bad at any point in time. So do you do you chalk up this season to the effects of the pandemic on the MLS uh, as a whole throughout the regular season and these playoffs, or is are, is what we're seeing in the playoffs and some of these teams that have bowed out and haven't made it in. And some of these teams like Nashville that have had a lot of success. Do, do you chalk that up to the parity of the league? Uh, Chris, I'll start with you first. Yeah. Well, I think that the, the most important thing to say is that, I mean, MLS, as you say, it's a, it's a, a league known for its parity and, I think whether, you know, pandemic or no pandemic, I think we'd have seen a wild playoffs and I think there'd have been a fair a fair amount of shocks anyway. Um, we saw how entertaining the games were last season. You know, there was four threes, five threes all over the place. So um, I, I still think we would have seen some pretty crazy games. But it's hard to look at, say, you, you, you mentioned Toronto and they spent months down in Connecticut, you know, away from the families, sort of playing on a, on a neutral ground, away from their own fans and, sort of in isolation in, in effect and that's got to have a, an effect at some point on, on some of the players you know maybe the ones who aren't quite experienced at international level haven't been used to traveling away from the family for a long time and at some point that's got to take its mental toll and, and that's got to start draining you by, by the same token LAFC if they've got Brian Rodriguez and Diego Rossi there against Seattle I'm not saying they'll win but you know that they're going to give them a better game and you know they're not going to finish 12th in the uh, regular season standings if they don't keep having these disruptions as well. Uh, obviously, Colorado Rapids were the ones most affected by it and you know snuck into the playoffs, but we saw when they got there that there was no cohesion there and you know they, they looked like a side really struggling to, to string things together because they just hadn't played as, as much as, as many games. You know, they, they didn't have the practice, so... I don't like giving credence to the pandemic because I think it's kind of spoiled everyone's year and it's going to, not least football, there's, there's people had it far worse than, than that. I know that you've got to get context with this, but it, it has had an effect. It will continue to have an effect. But by the same token, I do I do want to end my point there on it's MLS. There's loads of parity. There's loads of goals. There's loads of entertainment. We had that last year and we're getting it again this year. And yeah, I agree with uh, Chris. I think um, I again, like he said, I don't want to give COVID anything because it's been it's ruined everyone's year. Twenty twenty was not the greatest, but MLS is known for its its parity. You know, you can go from eleventh last year, like Sporting Kansas City did, to first in the West. So uh, I think, but I, I will say that COVID w- did have an effect on everybody. You know, there was a point where. Um, there was four months without, you know, soccer, and a lot of these guys were just sitting around not doing anything. 
and I think it it helped some teams and to get closer, but other teams it it may have thrown their season off. And I I will like to point out that Nashville and the Revs they they had play in rounds just like Inter Miami did, and they were playing earlier than say the Union and Toronto. So they had a Toronto and the Union they had like a a week and a half break with not playing any games, but. The the un uh the, excuse me the revs and Nashville they they played a game in between that so I I would say that 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 had an effect on um the revs winning against the Union and Nashville winning against Toronto but going into these semifinal rounds I would say that yeah it, it definitely hurt teams but I think it shows that if you're a good MLS team uh, no matter what happens you'll be able to push through and. Uh, get the results so I uh, these these semi-final rounds it'll it'll be interesting to see who continues to push and who ultimately weathers in the in the the spotlight I, I think I do agree with you guys on on most of the points that you've made I mean especially in an environment like what we've been dealing with since February March time it is it's hard to look past you know I, I know Chris you mentioned Toronto and and you know they're, they're Montreal and and Vancouver had to do the same things uh, in as far as finding a new home and all those players spending time away from their families and and these sorts of things and, and I, I think that it would be unfair it would be unfair to say that the pandemic hasn't had some effect but it does for the most part come down to the parity of the league I mean you you, you see people knock it all year long um, and year on year at that uh, about how you know there's there's always the big conversation between parity versus promotion and relegation and 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 how that may or may not lead to the development of the US and blah blah blah. I think at the end of the day if you look at this season uh and and what everybody's had to deal with with the pandemic uh, as a whole it's kind of nice to have this sort of parity. It's kind of nice to have everybody theoretically on a level playing field and and being able to operate under the same constraints and the same restrictions as everyone else and, 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 and seeing what people can do with it. You know, again, you look at the playoffs year, I think I've gone through, um, the last three or four years while you guys have been talking. And yes, there are some consistent folks. Your Seattle Sounders are always going to be there. Um, Portland Timbers are always going to be there. Toronto is always going to be there in terms of at least making it to the first play-in round. But, you know, one of the nice parts about parity and one of the nice parts about playoffs is that it anything can happen. And in, in a year where almost everything that has happened has been unexpected, um, you know, this is I, I think this is a, a, a nice combination of the two in terms of um, you know, you've got good teams being good teams. You've got some teams that are growing, some teams that are able to pull out playoff shocks. And, and that's part of really what's the most entertaining about the MLS and, and why we're all here to watch it. And for those of you listening, why we're all here to listen to Chris, Alex and I, and, uh, and Brady and everybody who's been on this North American soccer show to talk about it. On that note, I do think it is time to go ahead and close out this podcast. Uh, I've been your host, Dylan Baker. You can find me on Twitter at DLN underscore BKR, one of the most boring soccer Twitter accounts that you will find on the internet. These two have quite a bit more entertaining Twitter accounts. So, Chris, I'm going to start with you. Let us know where we can find you and what you've got working on this week. Uh, yeah, you can get, get me at CJ Smith 91 If I've annoyed any Orlando fans, feel free to come and chase me there and we'll, uh, we'll talk it out. Um, this week, I, I've got a couple of features coming up. I'm, I'm taking a little bit of a very quick break from the North American stuff and giving a bit of love to Harry Kane and then jumping straight back on a few features uh, 
over MLS and, and playoffs and, and everything that's coming up. And Alex, same question to you. Where can we find you on Twitter and what's this week got in store for you? Well, a lot of turkey. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of turkey this it's time week. to be an American this week. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can find me at uh, AAW underscore 1998 on Twitter. I tweet about Inner Miami a lot. Um, you'll see me tweeting about, you know, Italian football. Um, MLS games. I'm a huge MLS fan, regardless of who's playing, really. Um, yeah, my DMs are always open. Um, and if you want to chat about, you know, City A, Premier League, Everton, uh, anything, um, just hit me up and I'll, I'll be happy to, you know, chat and just talk about football with you. And that's a wrap for this week, folks. Hopefully we'll be able to maintain this consistency. Hopefully we'll be able to use these playoffs as a driver to find time when 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 we can all get together and, and, and talk about the MLS. And uh, again, once the MLS regular season is over, we've got a lot of really cool stuff planned for the real point of the North American soccer show, which is to talk about North American soccer. So I may, I'm very excited to get to those and, and bring you some of the guests that, that we've got kind of planned for, for the off season. Uh, the last thing that I want to do, uh, like usual, not always, but usual is I want to, I do want to shout out WFI's Patreon. Uh, you can find us at www.patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash world football index uh being a patron really does help keep the lights on we are trying to build a subscribership on patreon that that will allow us to kind of expand the content that we give you uh expand the guests that we bring to you expand the level of expertise despite the fact that i feel like we have a pretty good level of expertise already uh you know we always want to try and bring you guys more and through through patreon i think for six dollars a month not only do you help us achieve that goal for our readers and listeners but also you gain access to a lot of really cool content we come out with at least two podcast episodes a week that cover really high in-depth information uh, a lot of those episodes revolve around columbia with uh, simon edwards being really ingrained in the youth development system and in the agency business out that direction um, usually that, that, that gives us a lot of really good insight in a in a country that we normally wouldn't have uh, for an english-speaking podcast and, and you also get access to the football city guides where you can get a very in-depth depth look at how football intertwines itself with cities in South America uh, and just how in-depth it's ingrained into the culture and, and society and in those areas and in those cities. So uh, that's my shout out for Patreon. That's the North American Soccer Show episode 15 for you. And hopefully we will see you next week.